God, we come to you right now just inviting you into this place. You've promised that you dwell in us if we are believers in you. Now, Lord, we pray that you would dwell among us as well. Lord, I pray that your character as Father would sit in this room today. And for those who just need to be held, that your loving arms would just wrap around them through the words that you're about to speak through us. That God, that your role as strength, Savior, mighty God, would dwell richly in this room. That if we have chains that need broken, if we have things that we can't overcome on our own, that you would be here and whisper your truth, whisper your word into our ears so that we have the confidence to know that it's not us that fight this battle, but that you will fight it and that you will win it every time if we will just sit and dwell in your arms and follow your example and listen to your word and be diligent and committed to you. Your word is true. And as we listen to it and as I speak it, I pray that you would cleanse me and get me out of your way and speak your word this morning. That I would simply be the voice that is speaking your truth and your gospel and your message that your kingdom is built on. And I pray that this morning we would be the church. That we would be worthy of being called your bride. That we would look beautiful in your eyes as we listen and seek our groom. It's through your son who invites us into this relationship with you that we pray this prayer. Amen. You can find a seat. I am humbled to be with you. Um, Being on a stage to preach the word of God is one of my favorite places to be, not because there's spotlights here, but because the journey, when you're invited to preach God's word, He starts working on you well before you preach. And the beauty of his story is that he opens the eyes of of his preacher's hearts to know his truth. And it is the most amazing place to be. To be able to see him unfold his story in a way that would put me in a place to be able to share his truth with you overwhelms me every time. And so I don't envy you today. Um, A lot of times when I'm sitting there and Jeff is up here, I'm like, man... I know that truth he's preaching. I know where he has to have just come for the last couple of weeks to be able to be able to preach this truth. And um, I think it's funny that we've done like a you know series on brokenness, like leading into the day as daughters getting married. I'm like, what is that? Was that for you or us, Jeff? Because you're like sending the last daughter out of your house, and he's praying through crisis and all that stuff. And I'm like, that you're just preaching out of your life. Um, but the beauty of me being able to be here so that Jeff can actually um, preach and teach at his daughter's wedding today. And that's, that's such a beautiful thing to celebrate. So I'm humbled to be able to, uh, to stand here and share God's word with you this morning because I believe that it's a, wor- a word that, that could change everything if we would truly live it out. If the church would live out what we're going to talk about today, then I believe culture would actually change. I believe the world would change. I believe it could be a spark for revival. And then it's what a lot of people are looking for. But it's one of the hardest things for us to do because we are wired so internally to just like kind of take our lives on our own, on our own shoulders. I know I'm wired that way. I'm wired to do it myself a lot of times. We were uh, living in an apartment when I was in ministry in Xenia, and we decided as a family, my wife and I, to buy an elliptical for our house. I don't know if you have an elliptical at your house. They don't come assembled. They come in a box, a really heavy box. And uh, they load it on the back of your truck for you. So we get to our house, and we're going to, and Sarah kind of looked at me like, 
you need my help with that kind of like, please say no because I don't want to die helping you because this thing is heavy. Tell me you have another plan. And I'm like, I got it. That was my other plan. I got it. Um, and so I, I look at this big elliptical box on the back of this truck, and I'm thinking, all right, if it gains momentum, that could be to my advantage. If I flip that thing off the back of my truck and land it on my shoulder, then, you know, just dismount, and I'm good. And I can just walk it right in. And so I know Sarah's thought was, if it's not me, could you just call somebody else because I don't want my husband to die bringing an elliptical into our apartment. And my thought process was, me, man, I do this myself. And so I did, and I'm two inches shorter now because of it, because it's just like, flip that thing, and I'm like, and now that it was up there, I'm like, it's not coming down until it's in its room. And so I'm like, walking into that, and there's like marks on the doors from my adventure, because the back end of that, I'm like, oh, my bad, it's an apartment, it's not mine. Um... And, like, I go into this room, and I, and I drop it, and I can see Sarah, like, I can't believe you're doing that yourself. And I'm dropping it thinking, your response should have been, I can't believe I'm in love with such a strong man. But instead, she's like, why didn't you, you could have broken your back, and why didn't you call someone? And, and she was right. I'm wrong in that scenario, because this past week, we ordered a couple of, like, pedestals for our washer and dryer, which is very nice and helpful. But I looked at those in the back of my truck, and I'm, like, texting a few friends, like, hey, what are you doing tonight? Because I learned my lesson. This is, and it was so much more fun in community to be able to bring these things in, set them where they needed to, because we had to like hold our washer up in the air. And I, I really had thought about doing it myself, but I'm like, I don't think I can hold it up and like scoot the, the pedestal underneath. That's just not a good move. But I invited some friends over, and we did this thing together, and it was so easy and so much fun and so beautiful. And as I'm looking, I'm like, that's what the kingdom of God is supposed to be like. When we do things by ourselves, when we go through crisis, that's kind of the series we're in, is this series of finding power and brokenness. When we're broken and we try to piece ourselves back together by ourselves, we make a bigger mess. We're not built to do it alone. God said in our image when he created us, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, he built us to be together. He built us for unity. He built us to share our lives And this morning, what we're going to wrestle with and talk about and focus on and hopefully break free from is that individual life that we have to have, that we feel like we have to protect. Because for a lot of us in this room, you want to be in community, but you're afraid if you told your best friend that, they might not be your best friend anymore. If you told your husband and wife, then maybe they, they would just take on your guilt and make it their fault and you wouldn't get ministered to, you'd end up having to minister to them. And so you just bottle it in, keep it all locked up. If I said that at work, I could get fired. And so it just gets bottled up, and we just become farther and farther away from God. But this morning, we're going to dance on a truth of Scripture, and that truth is Micah chapter 7, verse 8. Do not rejoice over me, my enemy. Though I fall, I will rise. Though I dwell in darkness, God is a light for me. It would be beautiful if the church existed as that tagline. Not come here and it'll be easy. Not come here and all of your troubles will be gone. They won't. I know too many Christians who are really messed up to believe that. I'm really messed up. I wake up in the morning and if I'm a true believer and I'm supposed to not have any issues after I become a true believer, then I have to wake up every morning questioning my salvation. But that verse gives me hope that says, When I fall, I'm going to get up 
most of the time, I won't get up by myself. I have a knee disease. Um, it, it has influenced the height of my body. Um, and in junior high, going into high school, I found out that my bones were starting to grow. My muscles and tendons were too tight. And they weren't allowing my body to go the direction that it wanted to. So my bones started to go out the front of my knees. It was painful. I woke up one morning and just fell out of bed. My mom takes me to the specialist, and she said the most blasphemous words I'd ever heard in my life. You can't play sports. And I was like, take it back. Take it back right now or I'll hurt you. Because I was, well, I'm going to be in the NFL. No one told you that? Um, and she was like, not at 5'5", five, five, you're not. Um, and you're probably done growing. You should have been 5'10", but you're, this is it. And I'm like, that is... I started drinking. No, um, th- that was devastating to me. It, even worse than that, I go into my freshman year of high school having to wear a leg brace that kept my leg straight. That's cool. Walk into your freshman year and you're like, walking like that. And I get through that three months and they're like, okay, you got to switch legs now. And I'm like, entire freshman year, I'm walking like a peg leg. And people are like, what's wrong with your leg? And I can't play sports, and I'm completely devastated. And finally, after six months of this, uh, the doctor says, you can play grass, like soft turf sports only. No hardwood, no basketball. I'm the only person in Kentucky who can't play basketball now. So I'm like kicked out of the state. Um, And so I can't play basketball, but I can play football. And football was my real passion anyway. So I go out for the team in high school, make the team, end up being a junior varsity quarterback, like day two. I... I'm not quarterback material, but I was the quarterback. They were horrible. Um, And so one of the first games we play, they run a quarterback. That was like my coach's favorite play, quarterback sneak, because I was so small and I could just, you know, go. And um, so he would call a quarterback sneak. He calls this quarterback sneak. I get like 20 yards on this thing, and a safety comes behind and tackles me right there, drives my knees straight into the ground, just poof. And I didn't even fall forward. I just sat there on my knees like, I'm glad I have a helmet on because I'm like tearing up and ready to just die. I couldn't move. I felt like, I'm like, I'm paralyzed. I'm paralyzed. My life is over. I can't move. Until one of the linemen who's running up, because we never gained 20 yards on a play. So he comes running up and the lineman's like, hoo, hoo, and he grabs my shoulder pads. And he's like, no time, and picks me up and drags me into the huddle. And I'm like, no legs. And I'm like, you try to find my legs to make them work. And I get in the huddle and he's like, call the play. And I'm like, Okay, and in the moment, I I get the play and I call it, and I don't feel my legs pain anymore because there was no time to worry about the injury, and I needed someone else to pick me up and remind me, this game's about more than you getting hurt. This game is about us losing, Um, because that's what happened. We were one and nine. Um, This game is supposed to be about winning. Spiritual growth is supposed to be about winning the kingdom of God. And a lot of times we fall down, but we fall down in these little battles by ourselves, so there's no one to pick us up. And so we blame God because we're dwelling in this battle that we've lost, and we're, it hurts. And there's no one around to get us up and say, hey, it's, about, it's not about you, man. Get up. We've got to go. We've got a kingdom to win here. We've got a, a, a battle to fight. There's no time for your mere little flesh wound here. Get up. Let's go. And you find healing in pursuit of something bigger. But it's so interesting how when we fall down, if we fall down by ourselves, something that starts as just a small wound becomes a disease and we're paralyzed. And we can't, we quit. See, so many athletes like that, that they get hit, they fall down, there's no one to pick them up, and so they turn their equipment in the next day because they don't like how bad it hurts. 
Spiritually, so many people do that. You get hit, you get knocked down. There's no one there to pick you up. So you stay down. But we're called to get up. And when we get up, it's because there's someone there to help us up. Who's there to help you? Who are you there to help if you're like, wow, you know, this series of brokenness, this has been really good for those people who are broken, but I'm just good right now. If you're good, then you're missing the point. Because if you can't think of five, six, seven broken people around you, we are not living this. That's harsh, but that's true. In the New Testament, we are told as believers that it's not going to just be an easy life. We're going to be surrounded by the broken. We're to care for widows and orphans. We're to, to give the lost a platform to accept Christ. We should be standing next to them, not completely absent from them. So if we're completely absent from them, then we're apathetic, which means you're really down. You just didn't know you were in darkness. You just turned your own flashlight on instead of just chasing God's light. So we're going to move through darkness together as a church. And if we do that, that's so attractive to people in the world. I come to Christ and he offers me salvation and community and relationships and people who don't judge me based on what I do, but they love me on who I could become and who that who they know is living inside of me that can be. And they're transparent with me and they're willing to be open and say, you know what, I'm a mess too, but you're a mess and I'm a mess, but we're still moving. That's a beautiful church because that church will become the bride of Christ and it will stand in the glory of all of this world and say, you know what, now we get perfection in heaven for all of eternity and we get to dance and sing for every day for the rest of the rest of. See, that's the church I want to be a part of and that's the church that has potential and that's the church we can be in. This past week has been crazy for me, crazy. I started off on Monday playing in the Creation Museum golf outing for free in Petersburg, Kentucky. I don't know how that happened. I have no connections there. We got a call last week asking if anybody from Grace Grace Chapel golfed. And I was like, I do. Because if it's free and it's golf, I'm going to take the opportunity. And then, um, because I knew it was a scramble, I stacked my team by asking Alex Hampton to come with me. I'm like, hey, Alex Hampton plays too, and I think he's really good, so that way, if I'm really bad, then it won't matter. I'm the guy who brought the good guy. And, um, And Alex is really good at golf, and so we get there on Monday, and we get paired up, and we're paired up with Jim Breach, former kicker of the Bengals, back when they actually played football. Um, and... And so I'm looking at that going, wow, that you, I remember you. You played for the Bengals, and you're not in jail. It's awesome. Um, and so we're playing this golf outing. We get to the end of it, and at the end of the day, we're, we're waiting around because Ken Ham is going to do a presentation. So we're sticking around for this presentation. People are talking about um, the day and how they golfed, and a couple people are sitting at our table, and they're like, how'd you guys do it? We had talked about it. We're like, we did okay. And I, I mean... I finally started to piece a little bit of something at the end, and we played like three or four of my shots. That was the most that we played in my shot. There were 59 shots that we played. We used three or four of mine. Um, so, you know, I at least earned nothing. Um, but I was there, and I was on the team. And these guys start talking. They're like, so we shot in this, and they're like, what'd you guys shoot? We were like, we shot okay. And they're like, are you the guys that shot the 59? And we're like, we did shoot the 59. Why do you know we shot the 59? And they're like, well, you're the, you're the low score on the leaderboard right now, but there's still like two or three teams out. 
And so we're like, there's no way. And, and Alex had been sizing up one team that he, he thought this foursome was going to just be phenomenal. He's like, they're good. They're good. They've been talking golf, and they know golf, and they're good. And so Joe Boone gets up on stage to, t- to announce the winner after Ken Ham um, gives his discussion on youth culture, and it was really good. And he stands up, and he's like, now for the winner. And that's why we really stayed. Um, and it was to hear who the winner was. And he's like, with a 59, Chris Cox's foursome, which that's my name in case you don't know me. And I'm like, are you kidding me? Like, I'm the worst golfer on the foursome, and I'm the first name that you have to call. So, of course, I got to be the one in the pictures, and I'm walking up going, hey, thanks. So we win this golf tournament that we didn't pay to get into. We walk away with stuff. And so, like, all week, I'm like, I'd be Anthony Minos in golf because he was there. Um, and so take that. And I'm like, actually, Alex Hampton beat Alex or beat everyone else in golf because he's just phenomenal. So I come off Monday going, I got paid to go golfing today. I got to miss staff meeting for golf. This is awesome. So then Tuesday, I'm in meetings all day. From the time I woke up until I went to bed, I'm just in meetings. Wednesday morning, I got up at uh, four o'clock in the morning, got on a plane to Jacksonville, Florida, where it is just raining sideways for four days. It's a monsoon. Get off the plane thinking, I'm going to go to the beach for a couple hours and work on my sermon. No, I'm not. I'm going to go and try to, you know, take a boat to these people's house that I'm staying in. And then that night, the reason I was in Jacksonville was because one of my former students had invited me to come in and uh, oversee his ordination in the ministry. And that was so humbling for me. And we walk into this small church, and I see how Jason, my former student, is being just received by this church, and they just love him, and he's done internships there. And he, we start worshiping, and, and God just kind of stops life for me and just downloads memories. I don't know if you've ever had that happen. just kind of overwhelms me with this story. And I'm like, that's it. That's the church. Because while Jason is getting ready to get up on stage uh, to be ordained as a pastor, I'm starting to think about when I met Jason, which was in 2000, when I started an internship at the same church. We both had platinum blonde hair. You know you like it. Um, And then I got engaged in no more platinum blonde hair because my wife talked sense into me, and she was like, do you see what you look like? (laughs) Eminem is not cool. And and Jason had platinum blonde hair too. And so uh, I walked in, I'm like, that guy has to be cool because we could light up a room. And so I walk into this room and I start talking to this kid. He's a sophomore in high school, really down-to-earth, relational kid that I couldn't get off my mind when I walked out. I'm like, I, I don't know why I feel connected with this guy, but I started praying for him. Um, and I can remember even in my journal just writing things down about Jason Beaver and what I thought he could be in the kingdom and what potential I thought he had. We didn't talk for a couple of months, and then he calls me a couple of months later, and he's like, I just want to talk. You, can, you have time to talk because you don't know my story, and I just need to dump this on somebody. And what I found out was a couple of years before, his mom had been in a car accident, and due to the car accident, they found out that she had a degenerative type of arthritis that was so extreme, it was almost like leprosy, like her limbs started to deteriorate, she would have open sores, and, and she would like, she started being able to walk, and then she would lose mobility, and have to go on crutches, and then she went from crutches, to being able to push herself in a wheelchair, and then she went to a motorized wheelchair, and then she went to the point where, in order for her to move, you actually had to scoop her up, and move her from place to place, and like, you know, any great father would, her husband, as soon as he found out this disease, he, he hit the road, he just took off, and divorced her, and left, and um, he's gone, two twin boys are at home, sophomore year, taking care of their mom, bills are piling up, because when he left, everything just, I mean, financial crisis, everything just fell apart for them, and Jason's just like, so that's me, and I'm like, dude, you're a train wreck, 
I mean, in high school, I didn't have this. I had my stupid issues that I dealt with of whether I wanted to be influenced at a party or not. You got, you're a grown-up. I mean, this is grown-up stuff. He's having to figure out how to get his mom to the hospital before the hospital would open because they would care for her for free um, as long as they got there at like 5 in the morning and, and wheel her in. And so we start talking. I'm like, how can I help? Um, and so I start taking her to the hospital occasionally. And it was one of the most humbling experiences for her and for me because she's taking a grown 160-pound woman and taking her out of my, the seat of my car and like setting her down and then wheeling her in and then undressing these wounds. And then she would get uh, an amount for what the medicine would cost to help heal her. And then she would go home and start trying to raise money to be able to, to, um, to sustain her life. And all this time, her son is starting to, to do a little bit better. And he's starting to enter preaching competitions and do kind of crazy stuff that wasn't necessarily his character. And, and God's just starting to move in his life. And then... Um, the summer of his junior year comes, and his mom calls me. Ronnie gives me a call and says, hey, I need to talk to you. And I'm like, this can't be good. Um, what do you need? And she's like, no, I need you to come over because this is serious stuff, and I don't want to talk about it on the phone. And I'm like, oh, what is this? So Sarah was with me. Um, she's my fiance at the time, and, um, uh, and actually, I think we had just gotten married. And we go over to this, this run-down house that I just, every time I walked in, I'm like, this is just sad that beautiful people like this have to live in this scenario because it just seems like the world's stacked up against them. And as we're walking in, I'm like, what is going on? Because sometimes I get in trouble in ministry with parents and get yelled at because um, I'm a little bold. I don't know if you noticed that. But um, I'm thinking, is this parent mad at me or what's going on? Or is this more serious? And I walk in and she's tearing up and she's like, Jason's not home yet. Um, but his father got drunk last night, fell asleep in his trailer, and caught the trailer on fire and burned himself up. And for the last year and a half, Jason and I talked repeatedly about keeping his heart open just in case. If his dad ever said, can you forgive me? And if he ever said, I'm sorry, you got to keep your heart open and ready for that. You got to be willing as a believer. You got to be ready in case he comes because you can't have this hard heart. You got to be willing to take it to the next level. And in my mind, all of a sudden I'm going, that's so unfair. Why? He doesn't even get a chance to reconcile the relationship. He's got, his dad's got to be dumb enough to go burn himself up. I mean, I'm just angry at the scenario. But then I'm looking at Ron and she's like, you've got to tell him. I can't tell him this. I need you to tell him. And I'm going, are you, what? Whew. Okay. So we're sitting there for a few minutes and Jason walks in and he walks across the room. He's like, you know, and he's that kid that thinks he's in trouble because he comes home and his youth pastor's there. And he's walking in like, what's going on, guys? You never brought Sarah to a meeting before. Am I in real trouble? And I'm like, and he's kind of joking about it. And I'm like, I don't know how to get this real, real fast. I'm like, I can't, I don't know how to tell you anything but this. Your dad uh, got wasted again last night and he started a fire at his trailer and he's gone. And to watch the brokenness of this kid just sitting in a doorway kind of like that. He just melted down the doorway and uh, Sarah just kind of walked over to him and just held him. And, and one of the most agonizing moments for me was watching this mom in this chair that can't get to her son. She can't even hug him. She can't hold him. She's confined to this chair, can't move. And so I'm over with her praying and, and holding Rhonda, and Sarah's holding Jason. And in that moment, I'm looking around, and it was seared into my memory. They're like, this is the church, though. This is right where I want to be. This hurts so good. 
that if this is going to happen, which it is going to happen in this world, I want to be in the place where the broken are falling on door frames and we're, and we're there to hold them. And so in that moment, I'm just feeling like both things of God, thank you for considering me worthy to be sitting here right now, but I hate this world. I despise that this kind of brokenness has to happen. So we talked through what we, how we're going to help Jason through that, and, and Rhonda can't go to the funeral because of family stuff, and I'm like, dude, I'll go with you. And so I'm going with him to this, you know, just completely, it was horrible. I mean, it was just gut-wrenching as to how disrespected this man was and how it was just a flippant put him in the ground kind of thing um and so jason and i are talking about that and he's like so what do i do what do i do with my heart now do i keep it open how do i how do i deal with my dad now i'm like you got to deal with god now man i mean because you're probably questioning him why would he take your dad so now it's moved beyond your earthly father into why am i mad at god and he's like that is it i am frustrated with god he calls me about a month later he's like dude I don't know what's going on, but I need you again. I need you to go with me to another funeral. And I'm like, a what? A who? It's like, well, my cousin was just, um, just got through the police academy, and he was showing his sister his gun, and he shot her in the face. I'm like, are you serious? This, this is a month later. And he's like, yeah, we got to go. There are people are pressing charges against my cousin. He feels awful. He doesn't know what to do. I don't know what to do. I'm the only person that's even relatively close, goes to church on this side. It's on uh, his dad's side of the family. He's like, but I got to go because I'm connected to these cousins. And I'm like, dude, I'm with you. Let's go. Whatever it takes. Let's just go there. And again, just this awful, we're going to go get trashed because this is so unfair kind of thing afterward that Jason's just going, I don't know how to even witness to them because I want them to know that they're going to bury their frustration, but I'm not sure that I believe in God right now because he took my dad who I couldn't reconcile, my cousin who I'm really close to on some random foolish action. And I do, I don't have any answers for you either, except I will punch anything you want to punch with you. I will kick, scream, cry, pray, you, you say, this is how you want to let it out. Let's go let it out. I'm with you 100%. Let's just do this together. Don't go by yourself. If you go by yourself, depression is going to follow. And so we kept our relationship going. And then uh, Thanksgiving, that same year, Thanksgiving, uh, Jason's mom had been sick. She'd been in the hospital. They went on Thanksgiving Day to see her at the hospital. She had caught pneumonia. Um, she, her sores had gotten bad, and then she got pneumonia while she was in the hospital, so that made her even weaker. And Jason's calling. He's going, I don't know. Can you come to the hospital? Because I'm not sure if mom's going to make it. So, like, later that night, I go into the hospital, and I'm praying with him and his brother. And then the next day, Jason calls, and he's like, she died last night in her sleep. Mom, dad, cousin, boom, right there. Gone. That's crisis. That's overwhelming. Jason didn't know what to do. He wasn't sure if he wanted anything to do with God. He wasn't sure if his community was going to be in the world. He wanted to, to drink himself to numbness. That was his, the prone in his family. And he was just like, oh, so he started drinking. Started drinking like crazy. But you know what the beautiful thing was? I watched this church start to love Jason. This family came up to him and said, we've already got your room done in our house. It's ready as soon as you're willing to move in. Our son decided, he said he would split his room with you. It's a house. We, we don't expect you to call us parents, but we will be your parents. 
the church said, we got to get this kid to college. So they started a college fund right then, set, a, set it apart for them. We, get, we will get these guys an education. They will not be the consequences of all this stuff that's happened in their life. They need mentors. Some, a different person from the church almost every night of the week was taking them out to dinner or having them over. They will have family. They, he, they have more grandparents than anybody could possibly imagine. Because these people just started to overwhelm them. And Jason kept running from God. He didn't come right then. And that would be this nice storybook ending is, oh, the church loved him. He loved them back. And then he just went straight into ministry. No, he graduated in uh, 2002. And he's just now getting a college education because he chased the world. And it's taken him seven years to figure out how to get back in alignment with God. But about four years ago, he walked into my office. And I'm like, what are you doing here, man? You don't even answer my phone calls because I leave you messages and you just out there doing the, the world thing, and he's just like, I'm wrecked, man. I, don't, I have no answer. This world has nothing. He's like, I, I know it sounds crazy, but I think God's calling me to ministry. I went, nah, I've thought that since the day I met you. It's about time you figured it out. Come here and sit down and let's talk. We started processing all the loss in his life and how he was talking. He's like, with all this, I'm like, yeah, that's not your chain. That's your platform. Because of all this stuff, you can speak to people like other people can't talk. Satan wants to knock you out because you, he doesn't want you standing on a platform saying, you lose your mom, you can still love God. Lose your dad, still love God. Recovering alcohol, you can still love God. Look at me, I'm a fool. I've done all these things. I've had all these things happen to me. Some of them I had control. Some of them I had zero control whatsoever. And I passionately love God and I'm going to chase after him. You see, that message, that's the gospel. That's the gospel that speaks, and he gets to speak it with this crowd of influencers around him by, because they're all sitting there going, hey, we've sacrificed, and we don't want to be on the stage, and we don't want our names known, but when he was at his worst, we were able to pick him up because it was about something bigger than that moment in that loss. It was about his role in this kingdom, and we had to keep him moving. If he didn't keep moving, it was just going to be over. And so here's a guy kneeling down on his knees Wednesday night as this group of men surround him and lay hands on him and pray for this platform of ministry that he's not going to just be a casualty of a tough life, but he is going to be a warrior who preaches the gospel of Jesus Christ. What a transformation. That's the church being the church. And that doesn't just have to happen to Jason. And you don't have to think about it of going, who's my Jason Beasley? Who do I have to to get there because your story and his story are completely different it's just an example of how the church is the church in the old testament we're given a beautiful picture of how the same thing happens and how we can emulate it now if you have a bible and you want to turn to this you can go to um to exodus chapter 17 i'm going to start reading in verse 8 i'm going to set this up for you the Israelites have just gotten out of Egypt. They're pretty fresh into this journey into the promised land. They've seen some amazing things happen. They've seen uh, water turned into blood in this river. They've seen these plagues of locusts and frogs. They've seen the firstborn of every person who wasn't an Israelite living under the blood of this covenant uh, taken by this angel of death. They've seen all kinds of things. They saw a, a sea parted so that they could walk across on dry ground and then they come back together so that their enemy would be um, overtaken. And just recently, right before this is written, they were so thirsty and whining about how hungry and thirsty that they were that they saw water come from a rock because the staff of God was used to strike this rock and water came flowing so now word comes to moses and it says here then amalek came and fought with israel at rephidim so moses said to joshua choose for us men and go out and fight with amalek 
Tomorrow I will stand on the top of the hill with the staff of God in my hand. So Joshua did as Moses told him and fought with Amalek, while Moses, Aaron, and Hur went up to the top of the hill. Whenever Moses held up his hand, Israel prevailed. And whenever he lowered his hand, Amalek prevailed. But Moses' hands grew weary. So they took a stone and put it under him, and he sat on it, while Aaron and Hur held up his hands, one on one side and the other on the other side. So his hands were steady until the going down of the sun. And Joshua overwhelmed Amalek and his people and the sword, with the sword. What a story of community and the church and all the pieces coming together because if one didn't play his role, the battle doesn't get won. Do you imagine somebody walking in to address an issue you have in your life and they're like, wow, this is a crisis. And he's like, well, I have the staff of God. I'm going to go stand on a hill and hold it up. You go fight. Like That makes no sense whatsoever. You're crazy, man. I'm going to go find somebody with a good game plan, a 12-step program who's going to get me out of this, a good four steps and cut my credit card up kind of game plan, or someone who's going to be able to come in with, if you take these five medications, then you will find healing kind of program. Not the kind of guy who's going to walk in and say, by the power of God, we're going to get through this crisis together. So I'm going to go up on this hill, and the the place that I know God dwells is in this staff, because it's done some amazing things. So I figure, if the staff can strike the rock and get water, if I hold the staff over a battle, God might be with us, and then we might see some victory. Joshua, we've been slaves for the last forever. Um, none of these people that are with us have been warriors. They're not trained in war, but go see if you can find some, find some strong guys who are gutsy enough to go fight these people. Joshua's like, okay, I'll go get some guys and we'll go fight. He doesn't say, well, maybe that should be Caleb's role. Maybe Let's send Aaron. He's the one who, after you, was anointed. Can he lead the battle? Joshua just said, I believe in my leader. I believe in the staff of God. Let's go. You want me on the battlefield? I'll go get on the battlefield. You want me to go get some people to fight? I'm going to go get some people to fight. I'm not going to question my role in it. I'm going to go figure out if we have any swords, what we can do to stab people and poke them in the eye, and then we're going to win. And so he goes down, and he gets his people together. And Aaron and her come up the mountain with Moses, not sure what their role is. I don't know if they were running from battle or if they were just going to go counsel with Moses or thought he needed help up on that mountain or what. But they walk up to the top of the mountain. Joshua didn't question them and say, why do they get to go up on the mountain where it's safe? And I come down here and fight. He just went to fight. And Moses stepped out and took his arms and held his staff out, the staff of God, and held it up. Now, I don't know if you've ever done this in worship, but you're like, wow, are we going to keep singing this song? Because my arms hurt. I've got this holy posture. I'm not sure if it's like unholy to lower my hands in the middle of the song once you go up. What's that say about God? So I've got to keep them up there for just a minute longer. Please give me like a music interlude so that I can drop my hands because they're starting to hurt. It's like a survivor game at church. Who can worship up here the longest? You don't have to tithe this week. Um, <laughs> but it... It gets painful. And so Moses' hands start to drop, and they start to notice these logical thinkers up there like, hey, when your hands go down, Joshua starts losing. Maybe they noticed it from the mountain, or maybe Joshua was just like, whatever you were doing, you stopped, and it hurts. Because they start losing the battle on the, when the hands start going down. And so Aaron and her are looking like, well, his hands stay up, and, and he sat. So they roll a boulder up, and then they take this position of humility for the rest of the day. They're just holding an arm. I don't know how you're wired, but I'd look down and be like, man, that was so much fun. They're like, whoosh, whoosh, whoosh. and I'm like, we've been in the wilderness a while, and it's not really smelling great right here all day long. 
stand and hold somebody's arm up. Because you know the story's not about you, it's about God. And if God is out in front, then victory will be found. And so you don't care what your role is as long as you're part of the story. And they won. Because someone stepped up and said, God needs to lead this right now. And everyone else said, then we back you as you chase God. I don't need my name on it too. I don't need it to be written down. I don't need a part in it. See, later Aaron wants to be the Moses in this scenario. He wasn't content holding the arm forever. He tries to call Moses out in numbers. He says, why are we following him? And God comes down in a cloud. That's a moment in your life. God comes out and says, hey, call Aaron to the tent. Come here, let me talk to my boy. Why didn't I call you? Because of this right here. Because you want power. So I called Moses because he didn't want power. I called you because you did. I made you flip roles because then you both have to depend on me. Because if I put you in the what you wanted, then you don't have to depend on me anymore. So if you're going, wow, I can do this myself, you might need to flip roles. You might need to stand and hold somebody up if you've been leading for a very long time. You might need to get your hands dirty in the fight down there with Joshua and trust someone else's leadership and say, I just fight. If I die, I die, but I I just trust that leader. Or maybe you've never let your junk be out there and you've never let anyone fight a battle for you and you need to be Moses saying, these are my people that you've called me to lead, so I'm going to put God in front and I'm going to stand up here as long as it takes. And you've never stepped into that leadership role. You're always like, ah, praise God, there's a place to just hold somebody's arm up. And God's been going, no, you're the guy I want leading out here, championing this, holding it up. But you can't become Aaron and want the role that you don't have. And you can't fall in love with the staff. Hezekiah actually had to burn the staff of God. Because the nation of Israel, instead of worshiping the God that spoke through the staff in the Old Testament, they started, they bronzed the staff, and they started worshiping the staff of Moses. Crazy inscription in the Old Testament, how between this passage and the passage in uh, Chronicles and Kings that talks about this, that it, became, it ceased to become the staff of God, and it became the staff of Moses to generations that followed after it. And they bronzed the staff of Moses because God had left the staff a long time ago. And they started to worship it, and Hezekiah had to burn it. What worship song do you need to burn so that you can fall back in love with God? Because the last time that you experienced him, you were like, oh, when we do Mighty to Save, and when we do How Great Thou Art, I just am at the center of God. And he's like, no, I'm, the song's about me, but I wasn't in the song the first time. I was in the room, and I came inside of you, and you thought I was in the song. Burn the song. If it's keeping you from getting with me, there was nothing wrong with the staff. The staff wasn't unbiblical. It was actually a tool for the kingdom of God at one point. But when people stop chasing God because they believe that God was in a moment, Jeff, preached that sermon over and over and over. Please, I felt so good when you preached that. If you felt so good, it might not have been for you. When we feel so bad that we should probably preach it over and over until we get it. And then once we feel good about it, then we move on because it's a battle. It's a journey that we keep moving forward in, not to stay and dwell on these tools for us to connect with God. The beauty of the kingdom of God is that in the Old Testament, 
He promised that he would dwell with his people. In the New Testament, in the New Covenant, he promises that if you call upon the name of Jesus, you will not only be saved, but you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. You don't need a staff because God dwells in you. God's dwelling inside of us is saying, take me to the world. Take me out there. Let people stand up and try to hold me up, and you hold them up, and battles will be won. And if that statement is true, then the church should probably be practicing it. So we're going to spend the next few minutes practicing being the church. Because when we choose to stand up and say, God needs to win this battle, and I'm putting him up front, when an individual stands up, the church has to come around and, and hold his arms up. If someone comes up and says, I have an addiction to pornography, then the church needs to come around that guy and say, we will hold your arms up as you hold God up because only he can defeat your addiction. He will overcome it and he will give you light in the future, but there's a long path of darkness we gotta get you through. So the next few minutes, we're gonna spend some time in prayer. And I'm gonna invite you that if one of the things that I describe is you to let the church love you this morning. I'm not going to invite you to share your testimony and to, to just spill everything because that needs to be done in private, one-on-one. James says that if you confess your sins one to another, you'll be healed. So that needs to be something maybe more intimate. But you need to let the church know that you're in trouble and hold you up for what's going on in your life. And I would never ask a crowd of people to do something I'm not willing to do because I'm not standing on this stage saying, I'm holy, you're not. I'm standing on this stage saying, there's things in my life I can't get through without people holding me up first thing we're going to pray about is provision because that's me i want to be a provider for my family i want to be a provider for the kingdom i want to do all these things and sometimes i'm overwhelmed by trying saying if i work one more hour if i do this more maybe i could just twist this and do this and make this happen and i could be the provider and god needs to whisper to me i'm the provider man you need to depend on me you take care of what i give you And I'll give you the power to take care of what I give you. And you repent when you misuse it. Maybe maybe your story's a little bit like mine. You just aren't sure about provision. Maybe you're not sure what your job is anymore because of this economy. And to be a provider is a huge concern to you. Maybe you've always thought that a certain income level would be enough and it never has in your family. Maybe you're not the breadwinner in your family. Maybe you're not bringing the income home and you're wondering why you always feel guilty about spending stuff, buying and, and purchasing. And maybe, maybe you look in the mirror and you just want better clothes and you want better stuff and you're not sure why you've got this connection to materialism in your life, but you're just unsure and you've got control of providing and, and being and have this, this thing for provision that's just holding you down. If that's you and you're kind of with me, then just stand up and let the church come around you. struggling as a provider just stand up in this room and trust that it's a safe place for the first time I'm going to pray for provision let's pray together Heavenly Father you are the ultimate provider you seek us Lord I pray even right now that you would convict those of us who are putting up a wall between you and us to stand up because we're just not sure that we want to give up control right now. And I know there's some control battles happening in this room. And I pray for your spirit to break that chain. That though, though I fall, I will rise right now. And I even pray that prayer personally for me. That when I, when I fall down, 
that I would fall forward closer to you. That I would trust you as a provider. That I would listen to you and allow you to guide and direct me. It's through that provision on the cross of Christ we can pray this prayer. Maybe some of you are in a crisis of illness, sickness, disease, whether it's emotional, physical, or spiritual. You know someone that's dying in front of your eyes and it's just locking up your walk with Christ. Maybe you know someone or you are just locked up by a sin in your life, completely just owned by, you can't get through it. Maybe emotionally you need healing. Someone hurt you 10, 15, 20 years ago. Someone left you, they abandoned you, they, they have locked up this relationship thing with you that it sounds good in community, but you can't go there because of relationally and emotionally you've been wounded. You let the, the church know that you need some healing and just stand up and let them come around you right now and just pray for healing in your life. Will you be so bold as to stand up if you're broken, if you're addicted, if you're sick, if you know sickness around you? If you see people standing near the church, you better move. They can be strangers. We have people standing right now. We need people to come around them. now who are just bold enough to stand up and say, I'm just tired of it. I can't handle it myself. This is scary for me to step out. I'm not sure that, that anything else is going to happen. Lord, I pray that the hands that they feel right now would just be an extension of your loving arms. God, we pray with confidence that you are still the great healer. You are the physician. You are the doctor. You are the forgiver. You are the greatest sacrifice. You are the lamb of God. You went to the slaughter so that we could find healing, physical, emotional, spiritual. And so we trust right now that you will speak a new truth into the lives of these men and women who have stood up. But in addition to this truth, I beg you to send them community, to send them errands and hers to hold their arms up as they battle even when it gets darker and darker and the light feels distant and I pray for, a, for just a blessing of healing in their life just overwhelm them and anoint them with the healing this morning it's only through your son that we can claim victory over Satan and we claim it now even before the battle's been fought, we claim victory. And we, play, we pray that you would guide them to that victory, even though they don't know how it's going to look yet. Pray that they would reign victorious in your name. Amen. I want to challenge you. Maybe This might be the most stretching one that you've ever heard. To challenge you that if you're in a crisis of belief in God right now, to let the church nurture you. This should be the safest place for those of us who have questions about God. 
that if God was real, then why am I going through this? If God was true, why does that guy's parents die? If God was real, why am I still so lonely? If God truly can heal, why are people still sick? If you've got a crisis of belief in your life, if you're not even sure God's real yet, I want to encourage you just to stand up and let the church love you through that season of disbelief because it's okay. It's all right to question God. He's big enough to handle your questions. He just wants you to be real and transparent when you ask Him. So if you have questions about God, if you have disbelief that He is the really the best way to live life, it's okay to stand up in this room because the church is going to surround you. So just stand up. Let the church love you. In the same token, if you believe that the gospel is true, but you've never been used to speak the transforming love of Jesus into someone's life, you're missing out. You're missing out on a beautiful gift of God, and maybe, maybe that's what you need. That's the battle you want to win. You want to be used in the kingdom to actually help someone come to the, the creator. And you're desperate for that. You're hungry for it. You can stand up too. If you're hungry for the gospel to transform the lives of people around you, you have it. Stand up. Make yourself known. It's okay. There's no judgment in this room. I die for that. I crave it every day. What about you? Are you hungry to share the word of God with other people around you? Surround people. Be the church. If you see people stand up, move close to them. It's all right if you're strangers. It's all right if you're not even a believer. Believers can, non-believers can, can pray as well. It's all right to look around at the rows behind you and just to move. someone stand up, move around them. Don't expect someone else saw them. God, we lift these men and women to you who are convicted to make your word the word on their lips and in their lives that would transform the lives of people around them. We don't know their stories. Maybe they've got a, a mom or a dad, a sister, a brother, a child that just has not confessed to you and their heart breaks for them. Maybe it's a coworker where they're just broken for the strangers around the world, the, the desperate, the hurting. I pray that your spirit would overwhelm them and would whisper to them that they are enough you living inside of them is enough and that your gospel is still as powerful today as it was when it was birthed and that speaking your word and fasting and praying and chasing after you and holding you up will transform people and that they're worthy of being able to speak your name because of the blood of Christ that's overwhelmed them Lord I pray that you would give them a voice and I pray that you would lead the desperate to them, that they were, their minds and their eyes of their hearts would be so open to the people that are around them that it, it wouldn't have to be the person that they think it's going to be, 
that it could be anyone, that they would be willing to share your story with anyone who asks or who you put in their life. Teach us your word so that we can speak it. Let us be so madly in love with you that you're all we want to talk about. Empower us to be your hands and your feet. It's through the saving of Jesus Christ, the saving love of Jesus Christ that we pray that. Amen. And here's one more that I'm going to challenge you with. If you've never had a staff, if you're going to leave here, excited and empty because you've not claimed upon Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Let the church love you. If you're ready to confess Jesus as your Lord and Savior, stand up. If you're ready for Him to be the staff that fights the battles for you, stand up not because you need to be bold and be recognized, but because you're ready to just reach out and grab Him. You can't, you can't take it anymore because if you try to do that alone, Satan's going to put a target on your chest. He's going to knock you down. If you need Jesus as your Lord and Savior, if you haven't confessed him, it's all right to stand up. I want to give you the opportunity to have the staff in your heart. Now as the church. We want to dance our way out of here. I hope that whether you stood up or stayed seated, Whatever God overwhelms you with, you let him overwhelm you with it. It's between you and him how you process it. But the, the beauty of a service like this is not that we leave going, wow, the burden is heavy. But that God is a light for me. And this church wants to be about community. And this church wants to hold each other's arms up. And this church, you can be ugly in front of everybody and they'll walk up to you and say, how can I hold your hand? And so we want you to write down with victory what you're struggling with if you need it because on an individual basis, we want to get in touch with you. Our leadership is committed to counseling, accountability, prayer, whatever. We want to be the church of Jesus Christ, not just a place where people come and feel good on Sundays. And we're going to have to get down and dirty in order to do that. So we got to deal with people's junk. So write your junk down so we can help you deal with it. It's between you, the pastoral staff, whoever is most qualified to connect with you. Everybody won't get a, a message from, from Pastor Jeff. You'll get it from whoever is ready to be able to help you break your chains. And last, we're just going to sing our way out of here. We're just going to dance on the fact that chains might have been broken this morning and that lives may have been transformed. And we're going to dance and sing to that glory and to that kingdom and to that honor that is the, the God that we're worshiping. Not me, not you, not the prayers of the hands, but the God that we honor in glory. So this service is in your hands now. End it the way that you want to talk to your God.